Hi, Sandy Mackey here. And Al Curtis. And I am here with the pool girl, Sandy Mackey. And I wanted to start today by asking her some questions. Because from a marketing standpoint, Sandy's led the way, the entire way, has been in charge and pushed us forward through innovative ideas and being creative. And what I'm curious about, because I know how I fit into that, and, and I know my position with all of it, what led you down this road that you've taken and, and how, how did you make some of the marketing decisions in terms of which direction the company should go and how we should orchestrate things and how important it was to take an offline brand and create this amazing online brand that has really world world known knownness now where we certainly have become much larger than I could have ever imagined because I from my perspective could only see my little part I'm a concrete guy at heart and I very concrete things working in a local arena of stuff and here you could see the internet as this way of creating a whole world online which then translates to our offline world as well. When you put it that way it sounds like we've got a lot going on. Well I think we do have a lot going on. We do have mm -hmm. a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Well the best way for me to frame that discussion of how did we decide which way to go in marketing is to talk a little bit about our insights group um, training center that we had done and what that really was for us which you and I have talked about before is it was this place where we could experiment and we could play with marketing ideas and we really educated ourselves as to the psychology of people how they think and what they're looking for well through the process of the insights group one day I was sitting in a brainstorming meeting or a mastermind meeting and I was trying to figure out a way in my mind because we had started doing marketing training at that point because we seemed to have a knack for it we weren't applying it to the pool business yet we were teaching entrepreneurs how to use it and I was trying to figure out if there was an easy way to explain how somebody could approach their marketing and that's the day that the question I was trying to answer is how can we make this simple and at a glance way for people to know what to do because it was complicated that's when I came up with the marketing tic-tac-toe board so when we started to have these thoughts of creating the ask the pool guy brand for the future it wasn't even called the ask the pool guy brand at that point when we started reinventing the pool company and deciding what we wanted it to look like we took it through that marketing tic-tac-toe process where we kind of using all of the tools that Napoleon Hill puts forward and Wallace Waddles, we really use that as the framework to imagine what did we want the world to look like as a result of our marketing. So we didn't start marketing first and then wait for the world to catch up. We really created this clear picture in our mind of if anything was possible, what are the things that would be really important to us? And I think as you were setting up the question, you were talking a lot about taking this offline brand and putting it online. And I think a lot of people would listen to that and they would think, okay, so you became internet marketers or you opened an e-commerce store. What's that about? And that's really not what we did. What we strove to do was build a brand that would serve us in a few ways. So we decided that we needed to have kind of divisions of what we did because as we were launching all these ideas and we can change the world with the pool industry there was pool construction that we did there was pool service that we did and then there was this you know utilizing the online tools to communicate with people and we weren't sure how to like meld them all together or keep them all separate so we really went through that process of what should each of these elements look like and I think once we did that knowing what to do next just has always come naturally from that point. I remember making the bold statement before we launched the Ask the Pool Guy brand and I believe it was probably only about two years ago, maybe three, it was give me a year or two and you will see us take over this online space in the pool world because there was not someone else being a spokesperson for the industry. So once we had decided to do that, every opportunity we got, we started putting 
the spokesperson type things together and that's really where the marketing messages all define themselves from so you if I'm if I'm understanding this right and, and I, I know the answer I think as the ideas developed and, and we've had the discussions about the ideas as we were creating this crystal clear vision of what we want we didn't necessarily know what that would look like at first especially online we had no idea but I do remember the day that you said give me just a matter of a few years and we'll take over the internet and I think in a lot of cases that's probably true we hear all the time wow I you guys come up first in everything and in any company we talk about in, in our blogs and our videos and whatever rank really high because our website has become that spokesman for the industry and I don't know and, and here's in this this convoluted question that I'm trying to put together in my head is did you could you really see it or did you just make that statement because you wanted it to be? Was it sort of a statement of, I want to take over the internet? Or could you see it? I mean, could, did you know that what we were doing would get us there? Because here, and here's the why I'm asking that question is so many of us, and, and me included in all those early years, other people told me what to do. And if you do this, this will work. And, and if you do this, and from sitting from my position of, of being a decision maker, I was less likely to do it because it was just someone selling me something. It was just, well, of course he wants me to buy ad space here and he wants me to do this because he's got to hit his quota. Not because he gives two craps about how my business is, but rather that he can go back to the end of the day and say, look, I sold my quota. So I came from that pessimistic standpoint of they just want to sell me stuff because if you're doing enough stuff, stuff happens, which is true, although not very effectively. So I'm wondering, did you see it? Clearly, obviously you had an inkling that, that it was there, but kind of get me back in your headspace there. That's a really fun place to go. I'm actually having a lot of fun with this question, just mentally. So I don't think I saw it. I think I felt it. I think I felt the enormity of what it was that we could do. And I knew that with the organic marketing tic-tac-toe vision that we had put together that it was absolutely possible because on that marketing tic-tac-toe board there's the nine squares where you define who you are what you are offering to the world you think about your target audience you figure out how to communicate with them you figure out what your energy signature is that you're gonna put forth in the world you figure out how to network with people and companies that'll get you where you want to go you figure out what stuff you have to have to support the brand. You find some alliances, people that you can partner with and banter with in the industry. And then all roads lead home, so it all centers on your website. So when we started the process, I knew because I felt all of those pieces. I didn't know what they would all look like right then, but I felt all those pieces and I just knew that there was this wide open space that we could walk right into because there wasn't anybody else that was doing it. Although, the good positive thing about it is the more people that would do it, the more that the whole industry would strengthen and the more that as we got started down this path, we'd find people you know, doing certain elements in the pool industry, we were able to collaborate and work with them and as a result, we all got stronger. So it's not like one person could come into this space at the detriment of all others, it's every person that comes into this space will help it organically grow into the next thing that it is. So I think I knew what it would feel like and I didn't see it, but I kind of had an inkling of what it would look like. So now I have about 14 different questions banging through my head here as you were talking. And I'm trying to figure keep, out good yeah, ways of explaining it because it is so exciting. Well, let me try to get through all of mine because they're all directly related to that. Maybe there's some of yours as well. First thing, I'm brand new or never really understood this feeling my way through something. How do I understand that? Could you put into words how I could feel my way through that... That, that there was a knowingness that if you did it, 
it would work? That's a question. Let's just well, start let's, with that question. Let's add anything else okay. to it. Yes. So how can someone who's just learning to feel their way through do that? How do they start how do you to even start? know that you can, that you're allowed to, that you have the, my permission to feel your way through this, or your permission? Mm -hmm. where, where would someone start? You start by practicing. So the very next opportunity that you have to decide so if you're if you already kind of know where you want to go then that's easy because you'll have some decisions coming up but if you're not quite sure where you want to go then you really have to decide and you have to really sit down or work with a partner work with a friend work with um, someone within your company or your organization or find someone that you think has great ideas and say look I need to define kind of a path that I want to go on let me run this by you and see how it feels. If it feels good and if it flows without too much drama coming up in your head, then it's the right way to go. If you try to feel your way into that path and you get like all these snarly, weird, apprehensive, you know, convoluted kind of feelings, then that's not the way to go. So kind of define your, your path then once you know what direction you're going, like maybe you already have a pool company, a pool service company, and you're looking to make some changes or grow, then think what's the very next thing that I should be doing and feel that answer. If it feels like it's easy and it makes you feel good, then go in that direction. If you try to make a decision and it makes you feel like crap, or it makes you feel anxious, or if it makes you feel angry, then stop and decide how that would feel. And one of the you know simple examples for a service company would be come up with a plan of the types of service you want to do. And when the phone rings with somebody calling saying, hi, can you do this? If it's on your list of things that you want to do, say yes. If it's not on your list of things that you want to do, just take a quick minute to think about it. Well, does this match where I want to go or does it take me away from that path? Does it feel good or does it feel bad? And do that. And you don't have to change like everything overnight, but just start practicing that feeling. So the challenge that comes up with me in that is that traditional belief that when the phone rings, you have to take the call. That someone's calling you, you got to take it. And it's work, so you got to try to get it. And that's almost beat into our heads for those that go to business school or read business books somehow. And I don't know where that comes from. And obviously, you're saying, don't follow that path. Although, you're saying, know the path you want. Before you make the decision not to take calls is know what you want. Mm -hmm. Once you know what you want, it's easier to identify what works and what doesn't work. It's also a continual work in progress though because if you have a plan it'll change because you'll come up with a new way of thinking about something and you'll you'll decide okay well that could fit maybe I was thinking about it in a weird way before. Or you hire someone who's good at sense. that thing then you then yeah. you adjust. I think that's also where people get to practice because when we started implementing these changes and we started you know fielding the phone calls and going off feel there was fear involved because what if we say no to this? Will the stuff that we really want to do actually happen? Should I just take this? Should I just say yes to this thing that really doesn't make me feel good because I'm afraid that the next phone call won't be better? And there you have to practice too. You know, don't say yes to every phone call and don't say no to every phone call, but really start like listening to how you feel and practice like a few times when you're feeling no and you say yes then recognize how you feel later and oftentimes you'll find out your gut instinct was the right one and the more I think that we were able to practice that and the more you really validated my tuning into things like we would say yes to something we wouldn't feel right about and then two weeks two months later we'd be like oh yeah we should have listened to the gut feeling the more that we validated that that gut instinct was right, the easier that it became. So that's also practice. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we, one of the things that we did was, you just mentioned fear, and that what if that next call doesn't come in, and I didn't take this one. 
how would you help someone understand that once everything starts lining up, your marketing and your message start lining up, and you know what you want, those calls continue to come because I know what we've described many times in the past is we say no to this call and it's easy to say no to this call because we know there's 10 more calls coming in. For someone who's worried about the next call, they're not thinking the next 10 calls, they're worried about the next one because they feel like they have to have it. How could you set them at ease a little bit that if they get their their message in line, they get they get all the marketing in line, they get the online stuff in line, that they'll get so many calls that it's it's really easy to turn away work when the phone's going to ring a hundred times. It's not so easy to turn away work when it's going to ring twice. So how would you set someone up for, you, you know, you, I think you started by saying you practice, you do a little bit. You're not saying do this implemented 100%. Yeah. Is there a try it a little bit and then you know you'll you'll start feeling the social proof because now we have social proof it's yeah. easy for us to go just say no to what you don't want and it's yeah. crass almost for us to go why aren't you saying no more but it's because we have we have a social proof that it's easy to say no 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 because then there's a yes 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 behind it and and we could say yes to all of them and it wouldn't serve us what I can say is it doesn't take long to overcome that that sense of fear and what I've coached some other people to do is start with an 80-20 rule or a 70-30 you know if you would have normally said yes to 100% of the things start saying no to 20 to 30% and just see how that feels and once you recognize that you know, your whole business isn't going to dry up because you started to get a little more selective, then you definitely become more empowered to saying no a little bit more often to the things that you really don't want to do and aren't well suited for, and then you have more room to say yes to the things that you do. So practice, 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 practice. Well, and not only that, would you would, I'm sure you would agree that as you start saying no to things, the things you say yes to are the things that you're really good at. Absolutely. And when you become known for being good at those things, you can also charge more money for those things. Absolutely. So you're saying yes to stuff that you may only make a little bit money on, and that you're saying no to all of that, but now you're saying yes to the thing that you're really good at, which means that you can charge mm -hmm. considerably more, which means you're making money. Well, that's one of the things that happens, too. As and that happens fairly quick. As you develop more of your specialized knowledge, um, if you would have gone out to do a service for two different people, you know, at $100 a piece, but you start to lean into this, then you decide, no, the next person that has me come out, it's going to be $200, so I only have to say yes one time, and I'll still be at this. So... One of the other things that I think people can do, and this is something that has helped us, you know, we're talking about saying yes and no to work at a variety of stages because we make decisions about, you know, the service call, which is kind of the entry level um, working with us, and we make our decisions about renovation projects, which are mid-level, and we make our decisions about construction projects, which are high-level, we make them all in the same way with that sense of feeling. So it's not that we have a different decision-making process for each one. But I'll tell you one of the things that helped me in those mid-level renovation projects was, sure, when the phone rings and somebody wants to hire you for something, it feels really good and kind of egoically, it's like, yeah, I better go out and quote this. And we also practice how did that feel in those situations. And if it felt good, we went forward. And if it didn't feel good, we wouldn't. But then we would often mentally kind of beat ourselves up saying, well, should I be doing this? And one of the things that helped me was looking at if we stayed home or if we stayed in the office and we didn't do this renovation, could we still be fine? Like, did we have to take the work to eat? Or could we say no to the work and could we just hang out in the office and have a good time? And would we be better off for that? So it became less, I think, in some cases about the money, more about the feeling, and more about enjoying the work, which is also something that I think we practiced over and over again, which is why we hear comments from our suppliers, oh, I want to, you know, get a 
get a bit of that energy that you have going on. And it's really we practiced making sure we were enjoying every day instead of doing things out of obligation. And there's a, that's empowering to know that what you're doing is things that you want to do versus things that you have to do. Not just on the employee level, but on the management and ownership level, it's the same. Is There's no longer that need to have to do something. Instead, it's all what we get to do, and we're, we're honored and able and capable of doing. So a little story to go along with developing that you know company where we like what we're doing is I remember working in the office a number of years ago before we had implemented a lot of these changes and the phone would ring and depending on who it was it's like I set myself up to cringe every time the phone rang because I was afraid is this going to be someone who's happy or is this going to be someone who's unhappy and that feeling was not something that I enjoyed the more that we started making these decisions that felt good the more that I could feel good when the phone rang and I wouldn't have to cringe. So much so that I had a conversation with one of our longtime um, customers that we built for the other day. And I had spoken with him about a week prior and I had made a comment to him that all of our customers were awesome. And then I talked to him that following week and I told him, you know, I spoke last time I was on the phone with you. I said all of our customers were awesome, but that's not the case most of our customers are really great you're one of the awesome ones and the ones that aren't so awesome and the ones that we don't connect with in the same way we really try to get them somewhere else where they fit better because maybe it's not with us so we've really worked on making sure that everything feels really good and really positive and not every customer is a match for every company and we've also kind of leaned into understanding that process and there's always that fear, uh, and I know that's where I snap into that, if I give away a customer. You know, there's there's philosophies and beliefs around firing a customer, and, and that's kind of got this angry notation about it. It's got this angst about, I fired a customer, meaning it, it, I almost interpret that as, I just can't stand them anymore, so they have to be gone. And that's not even what you're talking about. It's the customers that just don't fit. Now, maybe we don't feel kumbaya happy about them, but we don't necessarily have all this anger, hatred, and fighting toward them. It's just that if they don't feel really good, they're probably ready to move somewhere else. Because mm -hmm. I know our experiences, we want, we want to feel good, we want everyone else to feel good, and if that's not happening, then things need to change. We're almost at this point in our local market in the pool customer matchmaking business because people call us all the time and we have our very clearly defined list of things we do a list of things that we don't do and then some that are you know in between and, and we hadn't case even thought of those some, some came in that we're not that even we'll sure we consider. ever considered mm -hmm. but when that phone rings really our front end customer service um, people on the phone they know that it's their job to get that person connected with who can serve them best. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's not. And we've really worked on how we can facilitate that so everybody is feeling really good about it. So how does, uh, let's go back to kind of the, the early early step that we where we started with this is, what's some advice that you could give others to get to that point? And number two, does this apply just to the pool business? Well, let's start with number two. This applies to any business where there's somebody in the driver's seat who cares, who wants to make a legacy business versus a money business. And we're in business to make money and to support lifestyles in a lot of cases. But that's a byproduct of the feeling good and positive about what's happening every day. So I think it applies to any pool business that would choose to adopt it. It also applies to small businesses and entrepreneurs, you know, across the board. Anybody who's kind of willing to tune in to figure out what that feels like. So this isn't exclusively it's, just to the pool it's business. It's not only the pool businesses, okay. no. Now answer the first part of the question, which I can't even remember what I I know, had. repeat that. I, I don't even know what it is now. It was just, uh, 
Oh, how how would you help people lean into this process? How, you know, that, that whole idea that right from the front side our staff understands mm -hmm. and how would you create mm -hmm. policy? Again, we're not big corporate have to have all this on paper policy, mm -hmm. but how would how would someone go about creating these what we do's and what we don't do's and, and how could I implement my office staff taking phone calls and my order takers, well, you know, some yeah. of that back backroom stuff yeah. that will help people start thinking like this because without those answers, it's just too foreign. Well, the way that we started was we looked at the resources that we have. I remember when I first joined the pool company in the early days before any of this had happened, you ran around like a crazy person because the phone would ring and you would go check it out and you would stop by and we in the office would say, yeah, sure, he can come out to every Everything. question everywhere. And as a result of that, some of the balls were dropped, you know, oh, some of the people of were missed, um, the communication wasn't excellent because we weren't all on the same page. Um, customers would end up being unhappy, you would end up being unhappy. In the office we felt bad because, you know, we have unhappy people we're dealing with and we're trying to promise things. So that was a model that I knew didn't make sense. So when we started... So you had a basis of what doesn't <laughs> so, work. That's so I had a, that's a basis a, that's a good. of how I didn't want to feel. That's good. Mm -hmm. So what we did when we went through, you know, that process of defining who is our company, what are our skill sets, and what are our resources, then we were able to think about, okay, who can we really best serve? Because it didn't serve anybody to say yes to everything. And then everyone would be miserable. Because then we would be stretched too thin or... You know, it was really a mismatch of resources. So once we defined what are the divisions that we can really have in the company, who's responsible for each one, who can we assign to which tasks, that made it really easy to define that list of things that we should and shouldn't do. The other thing that we had to think about, too, is while you are very well-rounded with a lot of different areas of expertise and Mark, our service guy, is also well-rounded, you can cover for each other in some areas, but what we also had to decide was where you would serve the company best isn't the same place that Mark would serve the company mm -hmm. best. So when things come up, you know, if it's something that Mark, the service guy, needs to take care of, we also have to be very careful that you don't volunteer for it because when you have time, it feels like you should be saying yes to some of these things, even still because of your early days. Mm -hmm. But what we've learned is when you say yes to the things that are not on your list to begin with, it's just not, not the smartest serve. use of your time. So we really had to start paying attention and giving ourselves permission to stick to kind of like it became our rule book or our guidebook. We had to give ourselves permission to stick to those parameters. And it doesn't take that long. Once you start implementing, I can certainly look back over my third of, 30 years of doing this, almost 30 years, and recognizing, you put it very nicely when you said the early years for me, I can look back now and realize it was a train wreck. It was one accident away from being a disaster. With We were all over the place trying to serve everybody, and in turn, serving nobody. But how would you have known any better? I, I, I didn't know any yeah. better. And I know that I, I know the feeling that I, I didn't like that feeling, but I didn't know any different. There was no clear path. Oh, well, that's the way I'm supposed to go. I had no idea. I was putting one foot in front of the next, in front of the next, because that's all I knew how to do. And I figured if I plotted on long enough, I'd get somewhere. I also figured that if I kept slinging mud against the wall, eventually some of it would stick. And I was hoping it would stick in a pattern that made sense. And yet, it never did. I kept throwing mud against the wall and we had lots of business, but it never, there was no pattern developing that made sense. And then once we started doing the inner work of really identifying what we're good at. And you, you mentioned the word skill set, and we looked at our skill set, but we also looked at our happy set. What were the things that we're good at that made us happy to do? I have a lot of skills that I don't like to use. And I would not identify the, that skill set as the things that I want to do with my business. There's a lot of stuff that we turn away that fits my skill set, but it doesn't fit my happy set. It yeah. doesn't fit that thing that I really want to do. So we even had to go a step farther, which is as you go farther along, you find out, at least this is my experience with this, 
is that it's not only what you're good at, but that's one part. You're really good at maybe a lot of things, but the happy part. What's the skill set that makes you happy to do? And that's kind of where we ended up focusing, at least on the construction and where I'm more involved. Absolutely. So. Because, and you are more involved with construction because that makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And luckily we were able to find in your nephew Mark, our head service guy, a skill set that made him happy. Mm -hmm. And therefore we can assign you both to your happy tasks. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you know, everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. Well, and my background is very much service. I ran a service department for many, many years. That was what I did. I was head service guy. So I have the skill set, and at that time it was a good place for me. I didn't know where else I was going to be in the world, so that was perfectly fine place. But by the time I had the company, that was when I worked for somebody, but by the time I had the company, I couldn't use that skill set. I had There was a much bigger thing that I had to do. And by having that much bigger thing to thing to do and not knowing how to do it made it really difficult to do. And I was struggling my way through, which is all the things that you saw over those years, was me just stumbling my way through to the next step because I, there was no clear path. And I do think that an awful lot of really good companies and a lot of not-so-good companies have that same struggle, that guys got in because they were good at it or because they could see they could make money at it which you can, and they do, but then they get lost in the, well, how do I really make this great? I think a good, um, I guess, example of figuring out how to say yes to things and no to things is when we were kind of in the midst of your struggle with wondering if you wanted to stay in the pool business or not, there was probably a year, maybe two years, that if we looked financially at what happened in those years, it would have been smarter to not leave the office at all or for you not to have left your house than to have worked for a whole year. So I think that was also one of those um, realigning moments to say, you know, you can keep spinning your wheels and you can keep doing what you've always been doing, but if you're not any further ahead and if it doesn't feel good and if you could have been just as successful financially had you stayed nothing. home for the whole year, you know, then obviously something has to change. And I think that realization is something that has always really stuck with me and empowered me to know that those decisions are really important. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that I wanted to touch on is kind of in the early days of marketing this, one of the things that business books and school teaches is to become a better company, you're almost supposed to become a bigger company or a broader company. And that's one of those things that when we defined what we wanted to be, neither you nor I had any interest in growing broader or bigger in terms of having to manage a larger staff and a larger number of employees. What we wanted to do was grow to be more profitable. We wanted to grow to be happier and more satisfied in what we did, but we didn't want to do that just to become bigger. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we really took ownership of then was reframing how to explain our company. Because we didn't ever want to say we were the this big company. We didn't want to say that we were trying to grow in that way. What we decided on instead was explaining it as we're a boutique firm. We take on work that we really enjoy. We work with people that we really enjoy. We make, you know, a healthy amount of money for what we do, but we really started to own the fact that we're boutique and we don't have a need. You know, people would ask, well, how big do you want to get it and how many more people do you want to hire? And that's really not what our desire was. Our desire was to be better, but not bigger and broader. And, and be deeper, deeper into that niche, into that specific thing, and be really, really good at it. And it's very difficult to make a company bigger and do that, or broader and do that. You, you make it narrower and deeper, maybe, to get there. And that's somewhere where you and I aligned on that, is that there, was, there wasn't, from an ego standpoint... I know an awful lot of guys, construction businesses are all like this, almost all. I can almost throw a blanket statement over that, that everyone has an ego that needs to be stroked and needs to be bigger. 
and there's this desire to have a bigger company because if mine's bigger than yours, then it must be better. It is so not true. And when we owned that cute little word boutique, and I speak that with excitement now that we're a boutique firm. We do not in any way, shape, or form need to compare ourselves to any other company from a, ooh, that's a better company because it's bigger versus smaller. Not at all. I gave that up once we really focused in understanding that it's not about how big it's, it's how cool it could be and how, how happy we could be in the process. And boutique is really a strong marketing word because mm -hmm. boutique feels so good compared to small or mm -hmm. streamlined or mm -hmm. economical because we are all of those things. We are. We're also extravagant and crazy and eclectic at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And boutique is just a it, really a good... cute, charming, mm -hmm fun way of explaining mm -hmm. our company. It, it, almost, it almost has that connotation of, uh, uh, to me, a boutique would be sort of a, a ritzy, in a ritzy little downtown quaint area with a really specific little dress shop or, you know, whatever, whatever the topic sweet is. Little yeah, with that little thing they... or that little coffee shop that attached mm -hmm. to some cool little parlor. And that's really what we are. Mm -hmm. But we have nothing to do with any of those things, but we do create that sense because of what we do. To do with that we energy. have everything to do with it. The other thing that goes along with this marketing is when we decided to define the resources that we had and the members of our team, that's another one of those very conscious decisions. I like a close-knit family team. My family is involved, your family is involved. We do have a few other people that help us from time to time that aren't necessarily related. But most of them but are. But I think that's something that is maybe a little different than other companies as well. I very much like having a close-knit team. I don't like the idea of having to hire random strangers or temporary mm -hmm. workers. So the company culture is that we really work to make sure that all of our team members fit. And I know this is something that maybe other small businesses that are more of the volume, like if you're a volume company and you have a volume of customers, then you might also have a volume of employees Please. that are, I don't want to use the word disposable, but it's kind of like if, if there's just a little glitch up, get rid of them because you can get another one. And with our team, we don't have that mentality so I think everybody on the team really kind of gives it their all as much as they can and of course we have glitches oh, that sure. come up but we address them in a different way because we're not running a disposable company there's not another pool guy especially in Michigan on every corner that can fit this very specific niche of what we do like in the south where there's pool service routes and people are doing weekly pool cleaning, there's less of a, I don't want to say skill set, but there's less maybe technical day-to-day -day needed because, you know, somebody can quickly become trained up route. in what they need to do. Because of our market and how dynamic it is and the huge variety of um, knowledge that our service techs and our builders need to have, it's not as easy to plug and play. You know, like electricians, I imagine, speak a universal language, and plumbers speak a universal language. Pool you, guys in the Midwest, yep. it's really a special mm -hmm. niche mm -hmm. type of knowledge you, that not everyone has. Right. If you're, you're looking for an electrician, or I use the example all the time of drywallers. If you're building a house and your drywaller has a whatever happens and he's gone, you can open up a phone book to, well, not that we'd open phone books anymore, but even if you, you can Google it, open up a Google, there's hundreds of names of people that do drywall. So it's easy to find a replacement to do that work. Plumber, same thing. Electrician, same thing. Pool guy, not so much. It's not like you can open up and open, or, or especially a subcontractor in the pool industry. If you're a pool company and you have an issue with the subcontractor and I'm going to go find someone else, you can't open up a book, a magical book somewhere that there's 25 more of those contractors. Some markets you can. Mm -hmm. uh, a good example would be a pool plaster. Say you need your pool plastered and, and for whatever reason you have an issue with a subcontractor. It's not like we can open up and there's 25 names we can choose from. There's just a handful total. And, and that does make it really difficult. That makes it less disposable. 
However, I think when you when you were mentioning uh, a few minutes ago about growing a company and the way that a company you know gets better as they get bigger and they do all of that, well, when you don't know to say no, that's the only way that you can grow is by you're saying yes to everything. So you just keep taking, you keep taking, you keep taking. But when you learn to say no, you don't have to grow because you can now utilize your special talents and make more with it. Mm -hmm. So our resources, we don't need to keep growing our staff of resources because we start, we're narrowing even more and more of what we do and don't do. And when we do that, we can charge more for it. We become more expert at it. And that happens fairly rapidly. And we become the specialty guy. And therefore, we can charge anything. Well, it's you know. the supply and demand. When you have a ton of supply and a little demand, then you're more likely to say yes to a lot of things at less money. When the demand goes up because you've established how special you are and our team is really special, the demand is greater. So we can say, in order to have us work on this, this, this is, is what, what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. and maybe you could go find someone else to do it at a different price point but if they're you know if you call a pool company and the the guy is sitting on the phone waiting to come and service your pump like in the middle of may like why isn't he busier you know that's always a concern so the people that are really good develop that demand and of course you know sometimes things can happen and, and you can call us and you know we can fit people in from time to time as well but because of our demand, because of our talents, it's really a positive position. And that's kind of universal. You talked about a company down south that has maintenance routes. That's, there's a place there, and there's a specialty customer in every one of those communities. There's enough customers that you could create a really specialized group of maintenance technicians and things. People tend not to because it's more competitive. It's more who will do it cheaper and faster and, and be there more often. And, and you can go that route, which is what most companies do, and therefore they just drive the price down. But within those markets, there's any number of room for more people to grow boutique firms, which means charge twice as much or three times as much for that same service if you know the customer that you want. Mm -hmm. We could charge. I imagine we didn't. We don't have that. But I imagine if we applied this to, uh, you know, if we moved out south somewhere and we reopened a location, that would be our approach: is who's here, how can we create the demand for our product and keep the supply low because we're the only ones doing it. The demand we could grow that very rapidly and be able to charge whatever we want and not have to compete against everybody. Well, when we made the decision to market the way that we did, we very consciously made the decision to not play in the competitive field. We decided that we're going to be creative and mm -hmm. we are creative on the construction end. We are also creative in our approach in to service mm -hmm. because in our market there's people fighting for the bottom and we'd rather be happy with what we do mm -hmm. In, in the prime spot mm -hmm. instead of trying to be in, in that field. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's hard. That's not an easy decision to get out of when you're, when you're used to it. When it's a part of what you do for so long and think that you have to be best price, you have to be cheap, 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 cheap to get work. So one of the things that I want to mention in this whole marketing discussion, which you were talking about, is we made the decision to do this when we didn't have deep pockets of a large bank account. And we've always been of the mentality, and I know you do, you've always done this with your approach to the pool company, is how can you get it done with what's on the truck? And then in the office with the marketing, it's always been since day one of revamping, how can we get it done with the skills, the ability, and the funds that we have and as a result, we've been very strategic. I don't know if strategic's the word. We've been very um, smart not to lay money out until we've tried something and decided that it works. So everything that we've developed, we've developed in-house. We haven't hired or outsourced until we've first done it ourselves and then decided where it made sense to put some of the money. Because I've seen so many people 
hire someone to do the website and to get this marketing campaign going and then as soon as they're done paying that off they didn't do anything with it and they're off to the next thing so we really have thought of an idea done it ourselves made it work and then you know decided if we should put more resources into it or if we should change and that's a great distinction because we do know and the people that we've coached and the people that we've talked to there's so many of them that have this sense of, but I don't really want to do that, so I'll just hire someone to do it. And sure, you can dole out some money for a while, but number one, it's not consistent. Number two, it's not authentic. And number three, what happens when that money runs out? You either pay them again to continue, or more likely, well, I didn't really get anything from that, so I don't continue. And yet, this is a consistent, long-range plan. This isn't, how can I get business today? It's, how can I do this work? to change my business so that I'll always have work. Mm -hmm. And we've certainly seen a lot of that. Hire someone out, they do it for a little while, and it's not exactly like you like it, so you fire them and you get someone else, and then that's not working out exactly, and then you go get some, instead of just doing the work yourself. Yeah. Save the time, energy, and money, just sit down and do some work with the resources that you have. So you would ask the question, is there room for more people in the online space? And there absolutely is tons of room in the pool industry and every other industry for kind of the approach of exactly what we're doing. When we looked at kind of that overreaching umbrella of what can the pool look like for the pool company look like for the future, we decided that there was this online persona, consumer advocate, industry bridge kind of between manufacturers and customers and um, you know, the idea havers and things like that. And we decided to step into that, you more than any of the rest of our team with the Ask the Pool Guy brand that kind of came about. But it became this beacon for people who really maybe don't have any idea where else to go with their question. And I think, I was just on YouTube today and one of the um, chemical suppliers started doing YouTube videos just in his office. There's one of our favorite guys who is just talking about their products and answering kind of layman's questions. And I think if every person in the industry that had some of that special knowledge started doing more of that, we would have this robust network of people that are easy to access for the consumers. Mm -hmm. And we get questions all the time from people with, you know, various inquiries that maybe we're not the best person to talk to about it and I love having those resources, resources that I can point them to or send them to just off the bat you know I know that you know this person is going to be the absolute best person for you to talk to and there's room for thousands of those little mm -hmm. specialties within mm -hmm. the pool industry yeah and I think that most people just won't for some reason or another they Fear. just won't yeah just won't do that work we didn't have a clue if anyone would pay attention to us. We really didn't. We did it anyway. We didn't wait for permission for someone to say, okay, now the world's ready to listen to you. Yeah. We didn't wait for any of that. We just went ahead and did it. And a lot of people never listen to us, and that's okay. But our goal wasn't necessarily to get the most likes on our fan page or get the most subscribers here or get the most whatever. It, it was about creating content. Impactful. It was about impactful, yeah, and, and being knowledgeable and credible and, and share information. So the social world allows us to interact more, and sure, we could always have more fans on a fan page. Sure, we could have more su subscribers to our YouTube channel. And yet, we don't need that to get the views that we get because there's enough people paying attention that we, we don't, I, at least I don't see that that's the goal is how can I get more YouTube followers? I mean, that's some people's way up the mountain, but that's not why we did it. Ours was how could we continue to share great information? If you subscribe, great. If you don't, great. But it's not just those subscribers that are watching our stuff because unless those the subscribers we have spend all day every day looking at our stuff, mm -hmm. there's no way that we would get those views. So it's a lot of other people. We're just not asking them will be part of our club. And I think that's okay because that's not what our intent was. It is absolutely okay. Mm -hmm. And our goal with creating content, my goal with it has always been provide great information and feel really, really good about it. You know, I don't think you or I or anybody on our team wants to feel schmarmy or pushy right. or, you know, 
infomercially. Come to our website now yeah. that you've watched our we stuff. Just, no. We want to be real people sharing real information mm -hmm. because we've got some specialized mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the the numbers. I think people in the marketing world get hyped up with the numbers. Well, how many fans and how many likes and how many views and how many all this other stuff. And in the early days, we could have looked at that and I know how to interpret all that information, but we decided that the message was more important than the numbers. And what we found is that if you're only paying attention to those numbers, you miss the reason for doing it. Mm -hmm. And the numbers aren't accurate. The numbers don't express the far-reaching no. um, people that are seeing it because mm -hmm. they can consume it in so many different ways. You can see it on Facebook. You can check it out on YouTube. And often we'll put things out and they'll have 20, 30, 80 views and it'll be responsible for, you know, 20 or 30 people coming up to us at a show and saying, I've seen your stuff. Or it'll be a couple different customers on the building end saying, I just have to have, you know, that. And it's six-figure results mm -hmm. that come mm -hmm. in as a part of that. So I don't know how to explain to people to get the for the numbers because they really don't matter. Well, and I'm, so I'm maybe the I'll numbers, just say it like that. I'm the numbers guy, you know, that always thought, well, that looks good. That's social proof. That's, well, of course, you look, we got all these, we've got all these people subscribed to our stuff. And yet, we have all the social proof because of what we've done that a, view, a video that has 20 or 30 views can sell us hundreds of thousands of dollars of stuff. So we know, we know in our heart of hearts that it doesn't matter how many views. Unless you're trying to go for a, a viral video for whatever reason, whatever that is. But we started this with something that you mentioned earlier. You, and you had said, the comment you made to me was, Give me a couple years and we'll take over the internet when it comes to pool searches. And that's the important piece. Because do we care that everyone gets our emails? No, that wasn't our intent. Do we care that we have the most fans on our page? No, because that wasn't our intent. What your intent was taking over the search world and guess what's happened? People find us all the time, and because we're not spammy, going subscribe, 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 be a member, blah 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 blah, which I suppose we could, but then we get right back to being the spammy schmarmy thing that we didn't want to yeah, do. That, that, that's not our style at all. I'd rather keep those numbers low and keep our views high and our web presence high and and the number of hits on our website. None of it really matters, but we know that we have social proof. But the only way that we could show other social proof in some people's minds would be, well, look at how many fans, look at how many, and that kind of doesn't matter. Sure, we have thousands and thousands of Twitter followers, and sure, we have an yippy-skippy. But if people aren't watching it, if people aren't paying attention, if people aren't engaging and recognizing us, none of it matters. So... I think people can feel the difference. You know, this... <coughs> A lot of what I've talked about today in terms of how we've marketed and how we've changed the company has gone with the feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to put into words to someone who's looking for the validation of the numbers just what this feeling means. I know when consumers and when industry um, fellow professionals see our content, they can feel the difference. You can feel if something is produced just for the numbers and you can feel when it's produced because of the content because that's so important and that's really like if there was a a distinct difference between our approach and maybe some other approaches out there it's because we are so deeply entrenched in the the mm, stuff in the stuff of it right the message the, yeah. the content of it a great story that, that is exactly that when we were in Atlantic City this past this past show here a, a few weeks ago, there was a guy, we were in the casino walking around or something, I was with some people, and this guy that was kind of eyeballing me, and he kind of walked by, and he looked and smiled and kind of waved, and he kept going, and, and so I just thought, oh, just someone being nice, and a little while later, he was at a table, and he, and he clearly looked at me, and he wanted to talk. You know, you get that sense. And he goes, I watch all of your stuff. He goes, I have to tell you, you are the most honest guy online. 
He said, it is so refreshing that I can watch your stuff and you're not trying to tell me something that's untrue. You're not trying to change something because you want it to be your way. He said, you tell it like it is and as I can tell you're being as honest as, as you know possible to be. Well, I had kind of stood and talking to him and there was another guy. They must have been, the one guy was gambling, this guy was just sitting there. And the other guy goes, you know, you're absolutely right. Boy, we've sure paid attention to his stuff. And, and, you know, the way you said it was, you know, this guy was saying, yeah, the way you said it was really accurate that he just sort of tells it like it is. And I said, but of course, and, and so my response, which was flattering, but I'd never expected that. I thought, oh, someone watched my stuff, cool. But the way that he said it was he didn't feel like I had anything to sell. And I didn't have any reason other than, simply sharing information, which we're calling in this case, content. Sharing the information with the world. And that's our intent all along. The net result of sharing it is people wanting to work with us, and it is all that taking that online brand and bringing it back offline. But that's not why we did it. We just, as we are right now, simply sharing the information because we think it's important, and it would be awesome if more people did that because we, we would change the world. We've changed the pool world and the rest of the world. So this doesn't just apply in the pool industry, but it certainly does in every industry there's room. And there's room, like you said, for thousands in the pool segment of the world anyway. And it's not about views. Part of, part of this, too, when you think of the size and scope of the pool business versus buildings. You know, there's, there's millions and millions of homes being built and there's hundreds of thousands of pools being built. There's a, there's a, it's a huge difference. So the viewership and the hits on websites and everything on all of those websites that are building homes is going to be much higher. Our pool market really is a pretty tiny market. So if we get hung up on why a video doesn't have 10,000 million billion views, it never will. That's not, that's not the industry. If you think about the stuff that we talk about, tens of people or hundreds of people or thousands of people would search that, not millions of people. So if you have a video that has 30 views, 100 views, 1,000 views, 10,000 views, 50,000 views, that's more than none, and that's all that really matters. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I think to wrap this up today, this is really my favorite, favorite part, favorite thing to talk about in the pool um, company, coming up with the ideas and figuring out how to do it. So I think when we got started, on this um, magical iteration of the pool company, we really decided where it was we wanted to go with it. What did we want the world to look like as a result of our um, doing our part, our part mm -hmm. of it? And that's the path that we followed. And I think every day, in every way possible, we're reminded that we are absolutely on the right track because those things that we would look to for social validation, they're happening. And they happen all the, all time, the time, and the stories get bigger and better. So, you know, my marketing lesson, which I'm calling it all marketing, but it's all all the magic of like being an entrepreneur in the pool business, and it's all about the marketing, and it's practicing a little bit more every day to be better than you were yesterday, share better information, share more information and make the best decisions that you can based on those feelings and really going off of those instincts instead of letting your your mind and your brain and you know the accountant get in the way and you never arrive we're 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 sharing more information now than we were before because as much as you think we'd run out of information we don't there's more yeah and it becomes more important for us to talk about it all the time which puts everything into hyperdrive of change that's going on but it hasn't stopped us from recognizing the value of sharing content. And I think I, I'm bewildered and amazed by that all the time that the very first videos we put out years and years and years ago still get viewed today. They're still working for us in, in their own way because there's still things that are relevant. There's still things that people are going to search as well as the video that got published today gets views as well. And so what happens with every video in between, all that work we did, is still paying off. Well, and we're still getting more excited about this too because Absolutely. we launched this podcast and you know, maybe we're a little afraid that we were going to run out of things to talk about and, and yeah, we're like, ready to keep I want to do another one right now just mm -hmm. because like it gets me so fired up. Mm -hmm. So, 
So with that, we better stop. And with that, until next time, uh, we hope we'll see you again. And if you're listening or liking anything we're sharing, we'd love to hear from you. Just, you know, shout out to us anywhere you find us and, and let us really, know. And we're really available as well. Yeah. We're, we're people that, we'll talk to people directly. We'll answer questions how best we can. We'll entertain people if that's what it takes. Absolutely. So. Idea bouncing and everything mm -hmm. all the time. So. I like that. That's a good way of signing off right there.